This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 213, Getting Out of Emotional Overwhelm. If you're ready to make peace with your sensitivity and to learn how to feel fearlessly so you don't get emotionally overwhelmed anymore, today's episode is for you. I'm really excited because I know just how life-changing this skill of feeling can be, especially for highly sensitive souls. I personally stopped feeling overwhelmed by my emotion when I stopped bottling them up. It's a lot easier to take a little bite at a time instead of having to eat 10 servings of your least favorite meal in one sitting. Kind of the same with emotions. Baby steps. I stopped feeling scared of my emotion when I learned how easy it is to actually process them when you focus on the body and the energy of the emotion and you don't get caught up in the stories and what they could mean about you and your life. I stopped feeling ashamed for being so emotional when I made peace with my own sensitivity and I started to see how much joy, love, happiness my sensitivity gave me access to. In this episode, we'll cover what is emotional overwhelm, why it's so common in highly sensitive people, why we label emotions as scary. Where does that come from? What do we tend to do instead of feeling our feelings and what can that cost us? And then how to stop this pattern once and for all. This episode today comes with an incredible 20-page workbook. Well, you'll get my somatic coaching step-by-step method to move from fearing your emotions to making peace with your emotions. So go to the show notes and download it to follow along and then to use it after that. Every time I share this step-by-step with a client and they take it and they apply it, something massive changes. Like my client Sarah, after realizing how much build-up anger and resentment she had in her, I showed her how to feel it, that anger and that resentment, and how to move it through. After the end of that one session, she felt clearer and lighter than she had in a very, very long time. She even said to me, I am really impressed, as somatic is something I've never done before, but gosh, does it ever work. This work has been more effective for me than years of talk therapy. So often we think if I pretend it's not there, it will go away. Or if I talk about it, that should be enough. That's a no and that's another no. Unfortunately, your body experiences your emotion. So you need to use your body to process them as well. So this workbook that comes with the episode is designed to give you a peek behind the curtain and lay out the step-by-step I use with my highly sensitive clients every day in coaching to teach them how to actually feel their emotions. I guarantee you'll be surprised of how easy it actually is in the end once you get it. It'll help you understand everything you need to know to feel empowered with your own emotions. A couple more things before we get to today's episode. Reminder number one, I always love to read your takeaways on the episodes and this one is particularly close to my heart. So if you take a screenshot of the episode and you share something you learn on IG, make sure to tag either at on and off your mat podcast or erica.belanger so I can see them and reshare you and kind of chat with you about it. Reminder number two, Recharge, Reconnect and Reset. The retreat is coming up this April. That's really soon, less than two months away. So if you've been thinking about the retreat, you've got to make your move before it's too late. This retreat is like getting three months of coaching with me packed in seven days. You'll learn all my favorite mind, body, spirit, nervous system, self-care and spiritual practices to drop your hustle lifestyle, to melt your stress and anxiety away and transform your life from the inside out. If you're a sensitive 
soul or you're a yogi and you're ready to learn how to trust yourself to feel fearlessly. So taking a little further what we'll talk about today. If you want to be yourself fully and create a life of deeper love, connection and joy, this is going to be the pivotal moment in your life. So you can go to ericabelanger.com slash retreat for all the juicy details you need. And if you'd like to get on a call to talk about those details, ask any question or anything like that, I would love to do that. So you can DM me on Instagram, the word retreat, or just email me and I'll put all the links in the show notes, the retreats, my email, how to book a call and the workbook, obviously. All right, ready? Let's get to today's episode. It's going to be a good one. Hey guys, welcome back. So let's start today's episode with what's actually happening here when we're talking about emotional overwhelm. Picture this. Your brain is like a control center of a highly complex spaceship, let's say, right? We're talking about your human body. And your emotions are like signals firing off from all directions. When you encounter a situation that triggers a strong emotional response, it's like an alarm going off in your control room, aka your brain, and down into your nervous system. The autonomic nervous system, which we've talked about in length in episode 121, nervous system 101, has two branches, right? Your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system, which both play a crucial role here. The sympathetic nervous system is like the gas pedal revving your body for action. It releases stress hormones like adrenaline, gearing you up to face a perceived threat or challenge. Now, in the context of emotional overwhelm, imagine the sympathetic nervous system going into overdrive. It's like slamming the gas pedal to the floor. Your heart rate increases, your muscle tense up, you might even start to breathe faster. It's the classic fight or flight response that is designed for you to deal with immediate danger. But here's the plot twist. In emotionally overwhelming situations, there's often no tangible threat. There's nothing to fight. There's nothing to run from because some of it is happening inside of you. It's more like your brain thinks that there's a lion in the room, but in reality, it's a work email or a disagreement or a fear being triggered up. At this point, should enter the parasympathetic nervous system to calm down the whole system. Its job would be to restore balance and to bring the body back into a state of rest and relaxation. Think of it as the brakes, right? The sympathetic gas pedal kind of balancing it out. The thing is, in the midst of emotional overwhelm, this balance kind of goes haywire. The sympathetic system is so strong and is so much on high alert that it floods your system with stress hormones while the parasympathetic system struggles to regain some control. So it stays into an imbalance. And that imbalance can lead to a cascade of physical and emotional symptoms. You might feel a knot in your stomach, a tightness in your chest, or even a lump in your throat. This is your way or your body's way of saying, hey, something is not right here. Meanwhile, your brain is in an attempt to process and make sense of the situation, especially of those overwhelming emotions. So it's going to be recruiting different regions. You have the amygdala, which is often referred as your brain emotional center. That will go into overdrive as well, trying to process the emotional significance of the situation. What does it mean what I'm feeling right now? The prefrontal cortex is responsible for decision-making and impulse control, and that might kind of struggle to keep things in check. 
this intricate dense between neurotransmitter hormones and the different region of your brain can create a perfect storm of emotional overwhelm. It's like a symphony where all the instruments are playing like at even full volume and the conductor is desperately trying to restore harmony, but cannot do it. It's like no one is really listening. Understanding this neurobiological aspect of emotional overwhelm helps us grasp why it's not just a matter of toughening up or getting over it, right? It's really a complex interplay of your nervous system responding to a perceived threat, even if the emotional nature of it makes it so challenging because it lies in finding ways that we're trying to bring the symphony back into a harmonious rhythm, but we're stuck. So if we take a few step backs before the emotional overwhelm actually hits, there's often a trigger, something that your brain perceives as a potential threat or a significant emotional event. This trigger could be external, like a stressful situation, an argument with a loved one, or it could be internal, like a memory or a thought that evokes a strong emotion. An easy example would be you smell something or you hear something and that triggers you into the memory of a back past trauma. When this trigger is detected, the amygdala goes into action. The amygdala is like that emotional gatekeeper of the brain, right? We talked about this. So it's stationed deep within your limbic system, and it's an almond-shaped structure that plays a pivotal role in processing emotions, especially the ones that are linked to fear or pleasure. So think of it as your brain's early warning system for anything emotionally significant, basically. It's like the alarm bell that starts ringing, signaling a potential emotional storm on the horizon. The amygdala processes the emotional significance of the trigger, tagging it with like a handle with care kind of label. At the same time, the sympathetic nervous system kicks into gear. This is where it starts, right? And that part of your nervous system, if you remember, is the fight or flight response. Now, in a typical scenario, this response should be adaptative, which means it would help you deal with immediate danger and then it would go away. The problem that arises is that when there's a perceived threat that is more emotional or psychological than physical, your brain can interpret things like rejection, failure, intense social situations as threat, setting off this chain reaction, even if, of course, there's actually no lion in the room. And then that doesn't go away because the lion doesn't go away because it wasn't there in the first place. As the amygdala sends out the distress signal to the sympathetic nervous system, that part of your system kind of amps up, right? You'll start to experience the initial stages of emotional arousal. Your heart rate increases, your breath become more shallow, your muscle tends up. In the body, you feel all those things showing up that you're gearing up for action, as we said before. But here's the tricky part. If the situation continues to escalate, or if the perceived threat persists, the emotional arousal just intensifies instead of going away. And when you're on the brink of emotional overwhelm, the amygdala, which is still in hyperdrive, will start to influence the other region of the brain to kind of get help. So the prefrontal cortex will be impacted, like your ability to think rationally will not quite be fully there. It will be harder for you to regulate your emotion. That's another example. It's like you're being caught in the loop where the amygdala keeps signaling danger, the sympathetic nervous system keeps responding, and the emotional intensity just keeps building and building and building. So if the cycle isn't interrupted or managed in some way, it leads to 
emotional overwhelm where you feel flooded by emotion, you struggle to cope effectively. So emotional overwhelm starts to feel like you're being caught up in a hurricane of feelings. And instead of raindrops, it's emotion hitting you from all directions right? It's like an emotional storm and you're standing in the middle (laughs) feeling like it's a whole chaotic tornado. So as you're trying to juggle those feelings, of course, things get overwhelming. And this is what we're talking about when we say like we feel taken over by our emotion or they're out of control or like we are out of control. Now, why is that so common in highly sensitive people? It might be obvious to you, but if it's not, the highly sensitive person is like, let's imagine that your emotions are like a stereo, right? Everyone has a personal control volume. Most people have it set at a comfortable level, let's say a solid five. Now, enter the highly sensitive person with their emotional volume. Their knob is not at five. It's always cranked up to a booming 11. So being highly sensitive is not just, you know, about getting teary eye during a sentimental commercial, although, yeah, that would happen. But it's more like you're living in a world where emotional nuance is just not noticed, but it's felt with an intensity that is hard to put into words sometimes. So for highly sensitive people, it's like having an emotional amplifier that's always on. It's tuned to the fine details that others might kind of just breeze past. You pick up on subtleties that make the emotional landscape richer, which is good, like the quiver in someone's voice, the micro-expression in someone's face, the underlying tone of a conversation. It's a bit like you have an emotional superpower that tunes into the world's emotional frequency with like laser precision. Now, this heightened sensitivity is a double-edged sword here. On the positive side, it makes you incredibly empathetic and attuned to the needs and feelings of others. You're a friend who can sense when something is off, even without speaking. And it's a beautiful gift that will help you foster deep connection and understanding of the people around you. But, and yes, there's a but, (laughs) when it comes to your own emotional experience, it's like living on a roller coaster with extra twists and turns. Because you pick up on the nuance so acutely, the highs can feel euphoric and the lows can feel like a total freefall. A simple disagreement might feel like a full-blown emotional crash and a small joy can feel completely like a high. So while you have a profound connection of the emotional currents around you, it also means that you're more vulnerable, right, to getting knocked around by the waves. Like what might be a gentle ripple for other people can feel like a tsunami for you. So this heightened emotional sensitivity kind of sets the stage for emotional overwhelm that we have been discussing, right? When the emotional wave starts crashing, if you're highly sensitive, you might find yourself caught into the storm and in a storm that feels more intense than what other would experience. It's not that you're overreacting. Don't believe when people tell you that. It's just that the emotional volume of your dial is all the way up. And what might be like a minor disturbance for someone else can feel like a seismic event for you. So what does your brain do when it's faced with emotional tsunamis? It tries to be the superhero, the problem solver, right? But sometimes when the brain gets overwhelmed, it says, Okay, hey, you know what? Emotions are a little 
much right now. So let's label them as too scary to even deal with and let's shove them into our emotional closet or sweep them under our emotional rug. Now, this happens because of a few different things. One, cognitive distortion. You can imagine like your brain is a storyteller and when it's faced with intense emotion, it starts weaving a narrative, right? It starts making a story so things make sense. Sometimes due to past experiences, due to familial or social influences or your own negative beliefs, the mind can engage in what we call cognitive distortion. These are like kind of irrational thoughts or patterns that contribute to the perception of reality that is a little off. And because of that, it gets more difficult to get clear on what is actually happening and not get ourselves overwhelmed. So for example, if a highly sensitive person, you have experienced rejection in relationship to your emotions in the past, you know, the classic, like, don't be so sensitive. Why are you so sensitive? What's wrong with you? You might develop a cognitive distortion that says emotion leads to pain and rejection. This distortion can lead you to fear your emotions because they become associated with a negative outcome, in this case, not being accepted, not being loved, not being taken care of. So that's a possibility, cognitive distortion. Another one is social conditioning. So because of social conditioning, we can also label our emotions as scary. Society often sends us the message that some emotions are not acceptable. For instance, expression of anger in women are very commonly labeled as not okay, where sadness is labeled as not okay for men, right? And vulnerability in general can be perceived as a weakness on the level of society, depending where you live, of course. But when you internalize those social norms, you may start to label your emotions or most of them, or the ones that fall outside the accepted range, right? Anything that is not joy, (laughs) you might label them as undesirable. And undesirable becomes scary because they kind of put you at risk now on the level of your whole tribe, which for your brain could mean devastating consequences when it comes to your survival, right? If you're rejected by the tribe and you're not protected, you will basically die. (laughs) So social conditioning is a big one here that influences us in putting that label The other one would be emotional or lack of emotional regulation skills. So if emotional overwhelm is present, it's particularly present for highly sensitive because we tend to lack effective emotional regulation skills. And that applies to everyone, right? If you haven't learned how to navigate and regulate your emotions, you're not going to be able to do it with more intense emotions. (laughs) It's just going to be more difficult. And again, feel like you're being caught in a storm without a sturdy ship or even a life vest. So to help you, I created this workbook that I was talking about in the beginning. It's downloadable, it's free, and I promise it's quite amazing. It's going to summarize what we've been talking about so far and then teach you my step-by-step unique method to get out of emotional overwhelm, which in a nutshell is how to learn to regulate your emotions or how to feel your feelings. So we'll talk about it more in a minute because there's one more thing that can create a scary label that I want to kind of wrap this up before I (laughs) get into a rabbit hole when it comes to creating a scary label to your emotions. So number four is a fear of losing control. 
So we had cognitive distortion, we had social conditioning, and then we had a lack of emotional regulation skill. And the last one is that fear of losing control. The intensity of the emotion can be overwhelming for anyone, but if you're highly sensitive and you experience your emotion more acutely, this might be a fear of losing control. The fear that can lead to the instinctive response of labeling emotion as scary and trying to repress them and avoid them, right? Because you don't want to lose control. Lose control might mean being weak, might mean all sorts of story, again, that your mind makes up according to your past experiences, your family, your society, and all these things. For a while, your brain has a good plan, avoidance and suppression. And it seems to be working. You kind of become an emotional ninja, you know, like you're dodging, deflecting. You can even pretend that those feelings don't exist. You might even start to feel like you're acing the art of emotional suppression. But that's just a facade because your emotions are like sneaky little rascals. They will find a way to escape. And when they do, it's like your dam of emotion breaks or bursts. It might be frustration, resentment, or whatever you've been trying to contain. It will erupt, sometimes at the most inconvenient time, and in a way that is not even fully related to the original emotion. So that's when the not-so-fun consequences of avoidance and suppression of your emotion kick in. Maybe you're suddenly grumpier than normal. You're snapping at people for no apparent reason. (laughs) Or perhaps you're starting to like brew resentment, you know, and that starts to taint your relationship. Starts to affect how you see other people and what they do. And if shit really hits the fan, you might find yourself like looking for tools to help you avoid and escape further. You can think, Like overeating, binge watching TV shows like there's no tomorrow, diving into a black hole of doom scrolling for hours. You might be reaching for a drink or a hookup that doesn't require intimacy. It's like any desperate thing that you can do to attempt to outrun your emotion avalanche. But here's the kicker. In the end, it's a bit like you're trying to outrun your own shadow, right? You might think you've escaped but your emotion really have a knack for catching up. And then when you're back at square one, because that's where you get back, it's like the circle, you're still feeling emotionally overwhelmed. And now you're stuck in a cycle that resembles like a roller coaster, but there's no exits. It's up and down and intense and high and low, and it never ends. Or sometimes it gets so overwhelming that you just close your eyes and you forget that you're on the roller coaster. You get yourself completely numb, completely disconnected. And it's a bit like your emotional compass for life is like spinning, but you can't see in what way it's going. So you stop paying attention. And that's the aftermath of battling the emotional storm and realizing that despite your best effort, you're still knee deep in your sea of feelings. So when emotional overwhelms becomes disconnection, numbness, feeling of being stuck, frozen, collapsed. This is where you're really needing to make a change, right? This is like a little baby version of a rock bottom for that moment because if you don't mobilize yourself, you're going to stay there because this is a place where your nervous system will encourage you to stay where you are because that's easier than making a change. So what do we do from here? We come back to emotional regulation and we learn its tools. 
feeling your feelings is the key here. You won't get emotionally overwhelmed if you know how to feel your feelings, because when you know how to feel your feelings, you won't be afraid of them anymore. And when your emotions don't have power over you, there's no need to repress them. When you don't repress your emotion, they don't pile up into this giant overwhelming mountain of emotions. The problem is, I'm sure you've been told to feel your feelings, but you've never really been shown how. Like, what does that actually mean? What do I need to actually do? What's the action step of feeling my feelings? So this stops today. No more gatekeeping. My goal is always to empower highly sensitive women to trust themselves, to feel fearlessly, to be themselves unapologetically, and to really create a life they dream of that has deep love, deep connection, deep joy. And I think the way out of overwhelm, out of anxiety, out of feeling limited, resentful for your sensitivity is to finally learn how to feel your feelings. So the tools of this workbook are going to help you find ways to stop squashing those emotions down and instead really show up for yourself with care, with nurturance, and with love. In episode 173, Feeling Your Feelings, I go over these steps too. So you might want to check that out just for another way to put it, other words. But here's the summary that you'll find in a notebook. Step number one, you feel your body. You're connecting to the sensation of your body because that is the sensation of emotions. And in the workbook, I'll give you a way to refer to somatic understanding and body mapping as a way to start connecting the sensations to the body part and the emotions you're experiencing. Step number two, you label your emotions. So you practice identifying your emotions without reacting to them. It's kind of like time to be a scientist. In the workbook, one way I show you to do that is like to use an emotional wheel. Step number three is to process the emotion. So once you feel your body, two, you label, you're like, I feel, mm, I think this might be X. Number three, you process the emotion. You might need to experiment in the beginning with different tools, but the goal is to move the energy of the emotion out of the body, through the body. And we do that by first matching it. Then, only then, we can cultivate the opposite emotion to bring the body back into homeostasis, get grounded, and move on. Step number four is to reflect on your emotions, right? In the workbook, you'll have a few reflection questions to answer so you can use your emotion as a guide towards positive change in your life and growth. So number one, feel your body. Number two, label your emotion. Number three, process your emotion. Number four, reflect on your emotion. When we start with the body and connecting to the body sensation, it's important to feel what's happening on the level of the body because emotions are not a mental experience. They're a whole body sensation. When you're happy, you might notice there's a lightness in your step or there's a warm glow in your chest. When you're angry, you might feel that the muscles are tensing up around your jaw or your hands or your heart starts to race. So feeling your feelings is more than just understanding what's going on in your head. It's tapping into the physical sensation of how your body is responding to what is actually happening. So you need to slow down. You need to be curious. You need to notice what you can sense. Is there pressure, weight, tightness? Is there a sense of a temperature? Is it cold or hot? Of texture, of density? And where is that happening in your body? So those are the questions you can ask yourself when you are trying to connect to the sensations in your body. This step is the foundation of everything else. So you have to start here. But if you're down the rabbit hole of not feeling and being numb and disconnected, you might feel that this first step is almost impossible. It's very difficult, right? You might be like, I don't feel my body. I don't know 
if there's a temperature or a tightness or a texture or a density. I can't tell. Don't worry. I got you. In the workbook, I give you examples of things you can do to reconnect to your physical sensation if you're really disconnected. The idea is that if feeling your body is hard, you create sensations and contrasts. And as you contrast a different sensation, it starts to be more obvious for your brain to pick up the subtleties and to reconnect with the sense of feeling. So I give you a bunch of examples, but I'll give you one right now, which is go walk barefoot. Go walk barefoot and start in your house on tile, on wood, on carpet. Then go into the grass, go on asphalt, on concrete, go onto dirt, use an acupressure mat or any other textured thing that you can walk on. And as you step on it, just hold it for a moment and feel what you can feel under your feet. What is it like? Is it intense? Is it dull? Is it soft? Is it hard? Is it warm? Is it cold? Go back and forth having to make a choice and then compare how is carpet compared to asphalt, right? So you're teaching your brain to notice the little things, in this case, in your feet. So then you can apply this to your whole body when it comes to your emotions. So that's one example. There's at least five more in the workbooks of ways that you can reconnect to your body. Once you feel your body and you identify the sensation, the location, the texture, it's time to see what emotion might relate to that. So in the workbook, I give you an exhaustive list of body parts that are commonly associated with particular emotions in the world of somatics. One example would be if you feel tension in your scalp or in your head, this might relate to a sense of anxiety or overthinking. So you would start there and then that information will help you decide what you will do to move the energy through, right? We'll work on the head and then I'll give you more details in a sec. Of course, you need to approach these generalization knowing that individual experiences can vary significantly. And so I would strongly encourage you and invite you to prioritize your own feelings over the list that I've pulled up for you, right? If something feels like that's not the case, don't believe the list, believe you and yourself. So this is the somatic way to look at it. You'll have that list, right? Body part and emotion that can relate to it. There's another way to look at it that is called body mapping. Body mapping is a study that was done in 2014 where they map out different emotion with like a heat sensor. And so think about it like a heat map of the body. Warm colors that show up on the scan, like red, orange, and yellow, means that there's more action, there's more activation in that part of the body. While cool colors, think blue, greens, like indigo, means that the body is kind of taking it a little easier. It's slowing down. It's not being as activated there. It might feel more cold in that area of the body. This concept known as body mapping really helps you peek into the physical side of the feelings. So by turning to this map that you have in the workbook, you get a clue about what you're feeling according to where you're feeling either heat or cold in your body. So here's an example. Sadness on the scan shows as heat and activation in the chest and in the head and as cold or cool and decreased sensation in the legs and arms. So if you check in into your body sensation and you feel like, oh, I'm feeling something in my chest and head, it feels activated, warm, there's like a little 
pin and needles, like whatever might relate to that activated feelings. And in contrast, you're like, I feel like my arms and legs are not here. Then that might be a sign that there's sadness there. Once you've felt your body and you're connected to the sensation, to the possible emotion, then you can label them. The labeling is step number two. And in the workbook, I give you two variations of an emotional wheel. An emotional wheel is a visual tool that characterizes emotions into primary and secondary category. So it's like providing a framework to help you label your emotions with more ease. And you usually start with like, is this comfortable or uncomfortable? So let's say you pick uncomfortable. Then there's like broad categories. Is the what I'm feeling? feeling more in the family of anger or sadness, right? If you make a contrast again, it makes it easier. Okay, let's say you said it was more sadness. Am I feeling more like discouraged or depressed? And then you can see what resonates the most and kind of go down the line to identify what it is you're actually feeling in this moment. The key here is to label your emotion without judgment. So to create mental space between you and your emotion so you can observe it rather than react to it, rather than become it, rather than be taken over by it, being overwhelmed by it. Then we go to number three. So already you've done like, I feel, mm -mm -mm, this is maybe, mm -mm -mm, and then it's time to meet the emotion to dissipate that energy. We've talked about this in length in episode 142, your nervous system and your emotions. So you can refer to that if you want a little bit more information on how the nervous system and the emotion function together. I'm not going to go into the details of that right now. For now, I just want you to remember that emotions are energy in motion. They are not good or bad. In any way, we make stories about what they mean. And for you to move with and through the emotion, you need to use movement, breath, voice, and so on. So you can meet the energy. And to meet the energy means you can reproduce the sensation of the energy. This will allow you to match it so it can dissipate. That means if you're feeling, let's say, agitated, you don't go and do something calming. And I know this might sound a little strange because you might have been told you just need to take a few breaths, go sit in meditation. That's actually not super helpful. What you need to do when you feel agitated is match the energy of agitation with something that would make someone feel agitated, activated. So an example, if you're feeling a fluttering agitation sensation, you might do some tapping, some shaking, some dancing, some fast breath pattern, like a breath of fire or a bellows breath. You might do fast movement, like a football drill, something that will help you move your heart rate up and make you sweat a little bit, make you warm a little bit. The characteristic of being agitated, can you reproduce that in your body? That agitation being like an active way here, you reproduce the agitation actively in your body instead of trying to fixing it and making it bad and rejecting that part of yourself. Once you've done this long enough, you're going to start to feel a shift. Like all of a sudden, you feel less agitated. Then, and only then, you can bring the opposite. In this case, maybe it's something calming. Maybe the opposite for you is peace, trust, confidence. So once you bring in your energetic feel what you want instead, you'll do the same thing, right? You'll bring movement, breath, voice that matches this new thing you want now, whether that's peace trust, right? Once you've done that, you just get grounded to kind of close the loop, close that chapter, finish up and move on. And it doesn't have to be really complicated. One of my favorite ways to get grounded is just to stand, feel my feet on the ground, breathe in and say, I am, breathe out and say, here. 
Inhaling, kind of feeling the energy moving up from the ground. I am. Exhaling, feeling the energy descending towards the earth. Here. And I'll just do that for a few breaths. And that is it. So these are your steps so far. Now, for this step of matching the emotion, that is one way to do it. I give you two more examples, two more tools in the workbook. So you have a whole list of tools with examples that are like more general tools. And then you have a list of tool per emotion. And an example would be like, you can use your breath. That's a general tool. And you might change the rhythm, the depth, according to what you're feeling. So maybe you need to breathe slow or fast or deep or shallow. Maybe you need to play with the ratio between your inhale and your exhale or a ratio of retention. Maybe you need to choose a breath that is cooling or calming versus a breath that is warming or activating. Right. So I also give you a list of examples to match particular energies. And like we did the example with agitation. And then I shared those two more ways I was just talking about, which number one is the chakra as a system. And number two is the meridians as a system as well. So the chakra system is believed to be a series of energetic centers within your body, each associated with specific qualities, emotions, and areas of your life. We've had two episodes on the chakras that you can refer to if you want to learn more about this. The numbers are escaping my brain right now, but I will put them in the show notes. So the chakras are another useful symbolic framework for addressing emotions, right? An easy example would be like if you're feeling a lack of stability, if you're feeling a lack of security, you don't feel safe or you feel fear, then you would focus your tools of movement, breath, sound, etc., on the root of your spine area around the physical setting of that particular chakra, which is your root chakra. Now, if we look at the meridian and using that as a base technique, that's often associated with Chinese medicine and practices like acupunctures. It involves the idea that the energy flows through specific pathways in your body. And you can experiment with different techniques to release and regulate your emotions there too. In traditional Chinese medicine, different emotions are associated with specific organs and those channel those meridians. So for example, the liver meridian is associated with anger and frustration. So if you do feel anger and frustration, if that's the emotion you've identified, then you would find the acupressure point along that meridian. You would apply pressure with either a thumb, a finger, a small massage tool, and then you would let the pressure go from light to a little kind of deeper as it gets comfortable, holding in for a minute or two, taking slow, deep breaths. You can even imagine or visualize the flow of energy smoothly moving along the meridian, kind of releasing any stagnant blocked emotion, right? So it's just a different technique. As you release the pressure, you might feel a change in your emotional body, in your physical sensation. So that's another way that you can meet the energy and move it through your body. We had the somatic approach. We had the chakra as a system and the meridian as a system. Once you've moved it through, you bring the opposite. You get grounded. Then you'll be ready to move on. And you'll have thought yourself that feelings don't have to be scary. And that feeling doesn't have to lead to overwhelm. And yet you don't have to feel out of control. 
So in the workbook, I also give you a full example of the four step in action where I do this with a real client and her answers with every step of the way and what practices I chose to recommend for her and how she felt at the end. So it kind of gives you an overview of how we put this together. And I finish with a cheat sheet to make it super easy and simple for you, which would say something like, number one, you described a physical sensation. I feel in body part, texture, density, temperature, tightness, pressure. Maybe there's even a color or an image that comes up. Number two, you use the somatic table, the colorful wheel of emotion and body mapping. You're like, I feel, let's say, tightness in my throat. I think this is fear, right? You have all the reference to help you kind of connect the dots. Number three, you use the tools to match the energy, the chakra, the meridian. You match and you dissipate that tightness. So if we're staying with the example of I feel tightness in my throat, tightness is like pressure. So you might add pressure to your throat. You might do a contract and relax contrast exercise in your throat. You might put some gentle weight on your throat or like your hand on your throat, right? Some gentle pressure. So that would match the energy of tightness that you feel in your throat. Then you create homeostasis by cultivating the opposite and getting grounded. What's the opposite of tightness? You might think it's space, spaciousness, openness. So in this case, the opposite tool might be to gargle, to hum, to sing, to force a yawn, to breathe into the throat, right? So things like that, that you will feel that create that opposite sense of spaciousness in your throat. Then you get grounded in whatever tool you want to use to do that. And you finish with a little reflection. What am I not saying, right? Why is there a blockage in my throat? And if I think this is fear, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid to say? What have I stopped myself from saying and why? What am I thinking or believing? What do I need to do? What is this fear telling me I need to do? So you can kind of answer those questions and have a better idea. So the next time you feel tightness in your throat or next time you feel fear, you have a framework and you can quickly go and work through it. You'll find this 20-page workbook completely free in the show notes. I've never given something so big for free, honestly. And if I was you and you tend to feel emotionally overwhelmed or like it's difficult to feel your feelings or simply if you think you're highly sensitive or you know what, if you want to be the one to break generational patterns and teach your kids how to feel, run to the show notes and download this workbook. And if this is something totally new to you, this is going to be such a great support. If this is not new to you and you want to go deeper, then the upcoming retreat is for you. This person immersion in Guatemala, we're going to do coaching like this every day. Sessions where we'll go through this protocol, practicing how to feel your feelings. And if you're ready to go all in, Guatemala is less than two months away. Like I said in the beginning, this retreat is like going intense on coaching in seven days, right? We're packing what I teach in three months in a seven intensive. You'll learn all my favorite tools to connect to your body, to feel your feelings and everything that ripples into that to regulate your nervous system, to regulate your emotions so you feel safe and comfortable showing up unapologetically being fully yourself, building the life you want and feeling unstoppable doing so. This is really going to be life-changing for you if that's what you're ready for. So I'll put all the details in the show notes about everything we've talked about. Let me know how this goes and I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
almost last call for Recharge, Reconnect, and Reset the Retreat coming this April. Check ericabelange.com slash retreat or DM me or email me for details or to get on a call. You'll find all the show notes for today's episode at ericabelange.com slash 213. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible. And this includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. I'll see you next Monday.